It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition of our podcast. We are uh, very grateful um, that you would give us your time and uh, and also for the questions. And I am grateful to uh, Mary Langston for uh, letting me uh, join her. How are you, Mary Langston? I'm doing well, Trey. How are you? I don't have any complaints, really. I mean, none that you know anybody would really necessarily care to hear, I don't think. Well, March Madness is over. What did you think? Um, honestly, I may have watched sixty seconds of the game Monday night. I just mm-hmm. uh, no offense in the world to UConn and San Diego State. I just it's not. Um, you know, Hurley's obviously done a great job. San Diego State, amazing that they got there. It's just not. You know, I don't know. Just. For some reason, I was more interested in the women's uh, Elite Eight and Final Four than I was on the men's side, probably because I didn't pick any of the right people to be in the tournament, would be my guess. Um, I was like 0 for 16. So, Well, it's over, so we go into the Masters week, and I think you talked a little bit about that on Tuesday, so we're looking forward to that too. Um, We do have a question from one of the listeners about the LSU-Iowa game, so I guess we better get started. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. It's also – and I'm – shocked that I would be mentioning this to you instead of vice versa. I think it might also be like the week leading up to Easter. Am I? It is. Yeah, it is. I, it's a special week. I wanted to right. end with that, but we'll oh, start with I'm it. I'm so sorry for jumping the gun. I just, <laughs> the, the fact that you brought up the masters and I brought up Easter is literally the seventh sign of the apocalypse <laughs> from the book of revelation. That is literally the sign that the world is about to end. Oh no. Well, you're right. It is Holy week. It's a special week. And um, Terry actually sent me a beautiful song to start the week and it was from Phil Wickham. He has a new song that's out and it talks about Holy Week. But you're right. I'm glad you brought it up. But I did want to end with that too. Okay. Well, uh, but it is a far special be it, week. Far be it for me to interrupt uh, my wife sending you songs about Holy Week. Um, she did not send it to me, which should tell you about all you need to know. Well, that, uh, the there's listeners- no hope. She has no hope for me at all. She does. She certainly does. Um, but the listeners should check out the song. It's by Phil Wickham. I can't think of what it's called, but um, it's all well, that's about helpful. That's a that's one of the <laughs> most important variables is the name of the artist. Now, it'd be great right. if you had the name of the song, too. But eventually you know they'll find it. <laughs> People just want everything. I mean, they just want everything. They want you to do all the work for them. Like, it's <laughs> enough that you said, hey, there's a really good song by someone. I don't know the name and I don't know the artist. I, well, you've I done do know the job. artist. You've oh, done your job. Don't let anybody tell you that you haven't done your job. Oh, my goodness. Well, hopefully they can find it. It's Phil Wickham. I don't know the name of the song, so I apologize for that. Oh, it's okay. Um, don't you have like social media in that, like your generation? 
It is. Yes. You can find it probably on his social media accounts too. Or you can put it on yours and tell people to go look at, go look at yours. So there are a lot of ways. But nobody wants to look at that, but I don't know. I mean, (laughs) right now they're probably just trying to figure out how am I supposed to find a song if she (laughs) won't tell me the title? Well, maybe I can find it between now and the end of the podcast, but you're right. It is Holy Week and um, we actually got to experience Israel. And so that was, that makes this Holy Week even more special in my opinion. Um, But you talked about that on Tuesday, I think on the podcast. So hopefully listeners heard that and it encouraged them. I hope so. I hope Mm -hmm. so. Well, we have a lot of questions today. It's a variety. Um, We appreciate y'all for sending us your thoughts, your questions. We'll go ahead and get started, Trey, and we'll start with a question from Charles. He writes, can D.A. Bragg's indictment of Trump be fast-tracked to Supreme Court? That's pretty amazing. In like 30 seconds, we went from Easter and Holy Week to the Manhattan Grand Jury. That was, that, that was quite a pivot. Uh, can quite a pivot. Can Alvin Bragg's indictment, uh, the grand jury's indictment of Trump be fast-tracked to the Supreme Court. I do not think so. Uh, I do not see a federal issue for now, or constitutional issue, I should say, at this point. So um, not to get into how cases get to the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm also assuming that Charles means the U.S. Supreme Court as opposed to the Supreme Court of New York. So if I'm wrong, I want Charles to say, no, dummy, you're wrong. I wasn't talking about the U.S. Supreme Court. That's how I take it. Fast track to the Supreme Court. The only way it gets tracked to the Supreme Court fastly or slowly is if there is a federal or constitutional issue at play. Potential things could be if a judge issued a gag order Uh, That certainly implicates the First Amendment. You could have search issues that implicates the Fourth Amendment. You could have Fifth and Sixth Amendment issues. Um, But this is a state crime. And while it is true, the constitutional issues can and do arise related to those various things like searches and attorney related issues, they're not. Um, present now, they'll have to be raised by former President Trump's counsel. So it's just best for us right now, I think, to consider this a state matter. So it's likely to go the state court route. And even then, I think it would go through the highest courts in the state of New York. And then if there is some jurisdiction for the U.S. Supreme Court, it could in theory wind up there. But no time soon. And I'm sure that folks, and I would be too, um, had I not gone to law school, I'm sure folks are thinking, well, he's a former president. He's a candidate for federal office. And so therefore, it must be federal and a federal court's going to have jurisdiction. Um, but that is not the case. Um, I mean, you are correct. He's a former president. He's a candidate for federal office. This is a state um, alleged crime. And again, without like boring people more than I've already bored them, we have this thing called dual sovereigns. The United States is a sovereign, but the state of New York is a sovereign, just like the state of Rhode Island and Texas and South Carolina. Those are also sovereigns, and they have the ability to enforce laws that they think have been committed 
against their sovereign. So I don't think it is going, I don't think it's ever going to wind up at the U.S. Supreme Court, but if it does, it will not be anytime soon. Well, thank you, Trey, and thank you, Charles, for your question. Our next question is from Ashley, and she writes, what are your thoughts on the LSU-Iowa game? So there's our sports question. Uh, Yeah, uh, I mean, the ratings were sky high, which is good for sports. It's good for women's sports. Um, LSU shot the ball so well. I mean, just, I mean, you know, I was, I watched them in Greenville and they did not shoot the ball as well. They uh, narrowly beat a very, very good Utah team, but um, they, they didn't shoot the ball that well, but they shot it extremely well against Iowa. Uh, which they needed to because Iowa's a really, really good team. They never gave up. They kept coming back, even when it looked like the game was kind of maybe getting away from them. Uh, And that's what you would expect with a group of players that have been together for a long time. And that's what you would expect in a group of players uh, that includes uh, Caitlin Clark, who is the National Player of the Year. Uh, My other thoughts, Kim Mulkey, what she's done in two years is nothing short of amazing. It's her, what, fourth national championship as a coach? Others as a player, others as an assistant coach. I read something today that if there were a Mount Rushmore of women's college basketball coaches, you got Gino on there, you got Pat Summit on there. Um, and, and then I think this particular writer, uh, I mean, the coach at Stanford, obviously a great career, um, coach at Notre Dame had a great career, uh, Vivian Stringer had a great career that this writer also included, uh, Kim and Dawn Staley, but you know, me, Mary Langston, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, sports on the one hand, cause I love it. And, and then I'm sitting here thinking at some point, the board of regents at Baylor, uh, might want to ask the president of Baylor or maybe the athletic director at Baylor, um, remind me again why she left? Mm-hmm. I mean, she she she's won in the Big Ten every single year at Baylor. She won she won three national championships at Baylor, and and you let her leave. And don't tell me it was about the, about the money because it was not about the money. Mm-hmm. And. I can tell you what else, her daughter and her son-in-law and her grandchildren are still in Texas. So when you see her going to greet her grandchildren after the game, you don't you only have to see that one time to know that's like the most important thing in her life. So she leaves the school she's been at forever, won three national championships, where her grandchildren are, where her daughter and her son-in-law still live, and it's not about the money. So if I'm in the Board of Regents at Baylor, I'm probably saying, hey, look, can you remind me again how, how y'all let this happen? The last thought on it, which, uh, you know, I shouldn't even bring it up, but I have to. Officiating, unfortunately, was an issue again. I know it's a hard thing to do being a referee. The game is fast. Their judgment calls. I just I don't think it's good for sports when the referees wind up being the story. And then like we do with lots of sports stories now, uh, the non-athletic stories um, tend to dominate every bit as much as the play. Uh, The purity of 
of of athletics, of sports, of uh, people being able to do amazing things. Uh, you know, Caitlin Clark shoots the basketball as well as anybody I've seen shoot the basketball. But that's not, I mean, after the game, that's not what people are talking about. The comments about certain players and teams and how they play, sportsmanship questions. And so, you know, in my unceasing uh, desire to, uh, like, I uh, guarantee that I'll never run for office again because I'm sure what I'm going to say is going to like upset people. But I blame our culture and I actually blame ESPN for a lot of that. The celebrations make the news as much as the plays do now. But you watch you watch football and the celebrations for an interception or a sack or a first down are literally they're literally like Broadway productions. I, I I think in team sports, when you draw attention to yourself or try to belittle your opponent, that that's not good. Now, we all do things out of impulse, which we would not do if we were, you know, under cool reflection. We all do that in the heat of the moment. I, I, I get that. I've done it. Everybody's done that. But many of the things we see in sports now are completely orchestrated and pre-planned. And I mean, take ESPN. They love to talk about putting people on a poster, which is when you dunk a basketball over someone and it's supposed to be demeaning and humiliating and it belittles the defensive player who was dunked on or caught flat footed if somebody, you know, dribbles around you. So, I mean, the moral of the story is why play defense at all? I mean, hey, I'll tell you the best way not to get, quote, put on a poster, according to ESPN, don't play defense. Don't let anybody dunk of you. Be up there at the free throw line. I mean, that's the way not to be on a poster. The best way not to get dunked on is don't be in the frame. And how about the person who made the pass? How about the person who got the rebound on the other end of the court, which enabled you to have a pretty easy bucket? I mean, ESPN doesn't want to talk about that. ESPN has turned sports into into something we have to talk about all day, every day. And often it is not the things that have anything to do with the sports or sportsmanship. So I'm sure my doctor is going to tell me you've got to keep your blood pressure down. And this is about the only thing, actually, that gets it raised up, ironically enough. Um, Marcus Lattimore was my favorite college football player uh, running back from South Carolina, scored lots of touchdowns. And you know what he did uh, after he scored a touchdown? He did the exact same thing after he scored every one of his touchdowns. He may have scored more than any running back in the history of the University of South Carolina football. And he did the exact same thing after he scored every touchdown. It was the weirdest thing to watch. He handed the ball to the referee, and then he went and celebrated with his teammates. Mm. Never once did that man disrespect an opponent. And so... When Marcus Lattimore suffered his second major knee injury, which in essence ended his career as a football player. So he had a knee injury, if memory serves me correctly, against Mississippi State. He came back and then he had a devastating knee injury against the University of Tennessee. And you could tell you could tell when that injury took place, particularly for a running back, that Marcus, um, his days of playing football at a super high level, Oh, we're going to be gone. But you saw the most amazing sight. You saw players from both teams 
out on the field in honor of Marcus Lattimore. Picture this. You have a fallen football player, and you have players from Tennessee and players from University of South Carolina gathered around him because he was a true competitor who earned the respect of everyone. You never saw him wiping his face like he was a professional wrestler, holding up three fingers to let the whole world know that you just made a three-point shot, even though we're watching the game and we know you just made a three-point shot. You never saw Marcus Lattimore stand over a player in a demeaning way. I'll say one more thing. I have seen Aaliyah Boston help far more opponents to their feet than I have ever seen her stand over as a fallen competitor or brag on herself. I have never seen Aaliyah Boston do that. I have seen her help people up. I have seen her congratulate people. I have seen her comfort teammates and opponents. But our culture doesn't want to reward people like Marcus or Leah. It's the showboats. So I, I don't know what Kim Mulkey said to Caitlin Clark at the end of the game, but I will bet you my most prized Scotty Cameron putter that it was gracious and kind and affirming and calculated to comfort. And yet the talk after that game is about everything else. So congratulations, ESPN. You want sports to mimic professional wrestling? We are well on the way. And I know people out there are saying, man, he's so old. He's old-fashioned. You're right. I, 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 just, I don't get it. I think certain things should never go out of style, like being a good sport and showing class to your teammates and your opponents. And if that makes me old and old-fashioned, then I'll plead guilty to both. Well said, Trey. Well, thank you so much for answering that question. We'll be right back after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Our next question is from Sean in Minnesota. He writes, how common is it for a congressman to not remember all bills they have (laughs) co-sponsored? And is co-sponsoring handled by their staff or only by the congressman directly. Oh, Sean, you're trying to make me laugh. I know exactly mm. what Sean is talking about. I think I think somebody we both know, Mary Langston, may possibly have not recalled a bill that he co-sponsored. And I think it may have actually happened on national television. I think you're right. Oh, uh, Let me say this. Members of the House and Senate are bombarded with requests to co-sponsor bills. And usually, at least in my case, and I think it was certainly true while I was there, we're asked on the floor where the bills are not in hand. Um, Staff almost universally is not allowed on the floor. I could not have Mary Langston with me. I couldn't have Cindy Crick with me. I couldn't have Annie Bartlett with me. Sharia, as a staff director, I think did have floor privileges, but she was not on my personal staff. So nobody, I mean, it's not her job to like let me know somebody wants me to co-sponsor a bill. So I'm on the floor where I don't have anybody that works with me. They don't have the bill in hand. They sit down beside you and say, I I have a bill that's going to recognize a Mother's Day as as a day of great importance, can I list you as a co-sponsor? <laughs> well, um, if it's really about Mother's Day, the answer is yes. But I need to read it because you may have worked in something about Malaysia or Finland also into that bill. 
So what happens is you say, you know, sounds okay, but send it to my staff. Staff looks at it. They summarize it. Some members of Congress want an oral summary. Some want a written summary. Many like to read the bill for themselves. And then you can signal to the member, or more likely it is staff to staff. Staff will say, you know, my guy, my gal read the bill, and they're fine being a co-sponsor of it. Having said that, I remember distinctly members having to go on the floor of the House and say, I inadvertently or improvidently signed up as a co-sponsor. It was a mistake. It was an accident. It was confusion. And so you have to formally get off the bill. So something happened there, too. Either that member didn't know that staff had done it or the member changed his or her mind. Sometimes a staff member may just in passing kind of say, look, my, my boss, I think, is good with it. Um, we'll let you know, you know, for sure by the end of the week. Nothing is heard from the end of the week. So you just assume that, you know, Senator X, hypothetically, would be OK being a co-sponsor. So, yes, I know. And look, if I had not been there, I'd be looking I'd be thinking about it the same way probably Sean and others are thinking about it, which is how in the world does that happen? But having been there and I have seen mistakes made. So, yes, <laughs> mistakes are made and um, is embarrassing. But um, but yes, <laughs> they are made. You are on bills you didn't know you were on. You are off bills that you didn't know you were off. And I've actually seen people vote against bills they co-sponsored because something got added to it at the last minute or something changed. So I'm not defending Congress or the House or the Senate. Mistakes happen. People put on the wrong color pair of socks and people forget which bills they co-sponsor. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Sean, for that question. Our last question is from Michael in Florida. He writes, as a former prosecutor, how has the evolution of scientific evidence made prosecution easier or more difficult? Uh, Michael, both. Um, easier to get the right person, harder to win when you don't have what the jury thinks you should have. Um, and I may get these numbers wrong, but they're close. Uh, there was a study done, I think it was out of Texas. I could be wrong about that. About In burglary cases, and for people who don't know, burglary is, oh, it could be a number of different things. It could be entering a dwelling. So you have to define what a dwelling is. It could be in the daylight with the intent to commit a crime or armed, or it could be at night. So but a burglary is basically breaking into somebody's house with bad intentions. And you would think that fingerprints would be there because you're in someone's house and you um, you or you're opening a window or you're going through a jewelry box. And, you know, in, in, in television and movies, all the crooks are smart enough to wear gloves. <laughs> They're not in real life. So you're thinking, well, we know you were in the house. The number of times you get prints in burglary cases, fingerprints, is astonishingly low. Astonishingly low. There have been murder cases where we know for a fact, we know for a fact, somebody handled a firearm. And yet there are no prints. I did a murder case 
where someone worked in a beauty salon. She owned it. She worked in it for years and years and years. She was there almost every day. Not a single one of her prints was found in the beauty shop. Not one. So people watch television and they have to get it solved in an hour. And so they used all this, these tracking devices and fingerprint and DNA. And now we have something called touch DNA. And, and the jury, the potential jurors are watching all of this stuff happen on television. And me and the cops are sitting there thinking, number one, that technology doesn't exist. And number two, if it did exist, our county can't afford to buy it. So the, the jury is coming with television expectations when you're still using, you know, old, you know, elbow grease to solve a case, interviewing witnesses and trying to piece together things because you don't have forensics. So scientific science has made it much more likely for us to get the right person. Science has raised the expectations of what juries should legitimately want to see. But it's not always there. The fingerprints aren't there. The DNA isn't there. The hair isn't there. There was a murder case I did. There were, you know, as you would expect, in a beauty salon, there were scores and scores of pieces of hair. So you got to analyze them, but you got to have somebody to compare them to. It's a beauty salon. Of course, there's going to be hair. So the fact that you have hair around the body of a victim, if it's you know, not a beauty salon, maybe that does help you. If it's a beauty salon, it doesn't help you at all. So that's a long way of saying science, anything that helps us make sure we get the right person is good. Anything, anything that eliminates people who are not guilty from being convicted is good. We also have to keep in mind that what we see in movies and television either doesn't exist or doesn't exist for that particular office. And we don't have the luxury of having to get it done in an hour um, it takes months and years, and you can have, I mean, I mean, let's assume we got prints. I mean, you know what, Mary Langston, your prints may very well be in the den of our home. They may very well be there because you're there once a week. But what does that mean? I mean, if somebody comes in and, and steals one of my putters tonight and they find your prints, that doesn't mean anything because you're about the least likely person on the face of the earth to do that. But you also can't date the print. Was that from the time you were there like two years ago or was it from Sunday? We don't know. So, yeah, it's good. Science, forensics, all that stuff is great. But if you're sitting on the jury, you also have to be open to the possibility that that alone is not going to answer all of your questions. So I don't know. Does that make sense, Mary Langston? That does make sense. And I promise not to touch your putter. <laughs> uh, you can have any putter that I have, because let me tell you right now, not a one of them is working right now. Not, not a single one of them. I'd be, in fact, I told Terry, you may as well just go use my putters as tomato steaks. At Aww. least, at least they'll serve a purpose. Go, go stick them outside. We don't have tomatoes, but go stick them outside and hold up some plant that's drooping over 
and I'll go putt with a with a with a brush broom. Mm. And I couldn't putt any worse. So you can have any putter that I have, although I feel safe saying that because I, I don't think you would take them. <laughs> no. I would never say that to like uh, John Ratcliffe um, <laughs> because he would be over there with a U-Haul taking them away. Yeah, he might want every single one of them. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, Richie Rich can go afford all of, all of his own putters now. I mean, what's that, that guy gets, what, $18 million for a 30-second speech now? I mean, that may be a slight exaggeration. I don't know. Just a but, slight exaggeration. Okay, all right. Well, it's in the ballpark. I mean, it's close. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering these questions today. And thank you all for sending us your questions. And I did find the title of the song, if you care to know, it's called Sunday's Coming. You would think I would remember that, but that's okay. So Sunday's Coming by Phil Wickham. Well, I will get my wife to play that for me if you sent that to her. (laughs) Um, If she's speaking to me, I can't remember. She (laughs) She is. Is she? She's still not happy with my behavior during the LSU-Utah basketball game. So (laughs) I can't remember whether she's speaking to me or not, but I'll go find out (laughs) and then I'll get her to play the song for me. But I hope you have a great uh, Easter and uh, it also is uh, the week of Masters. And so Mm -hmm. people that like golf is, although I don't think the weather's going to be amazing, um, that's okay. It only comes once a year, so be fun to watch. Y'all have a wonderful Holy Week and a happy Easter. All right, y'all take care. Bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.